I don't know about you guys, but it was tough for me. I mean, I was thankful for the online ministry. I mean, we were blessed to be able to do that. We reached a lot of people. But there's nothing that really replaces getting that opportunity to gather with other believers and actually worship. So I think it's, it's amazing. I'm glad we're all back uh, in, in such massive numbers. Um, but we're going to continue on in the book of 1 Kings. Now, I told you a few weeks ago I'm going to start cutting back on my, on my uh, you know, brief recaps because it's impossible to even use the word brief anymore in that recap. So we're going to pick up where we're, you know, a, a little farther ahead. We're in the book of 1 Kings, in the Kings series, uh, and today we'll be talking about uh, Solomon and this temple. Now, we know that Solomon was chosen to build God's temple. We've already established that. Uh, and last week we discussed how Solomon had organized the labor to build that temple, and it was pretty ingenious how he did that because he instituted a draft from a quarter of the men of Israel that equaled about 30,000 men, and... Um, those men, the Hebrews, only had to work one time, one month out of every three, which is the greatest, I mean, work scheme ever, to work one month and then be off two, right? So that was the deal he gave them. But he also uh, conscripted over 100,000, over 150,000 non-Hebrew people. Now, their workday was normal. They had to go the normal year round. They didn't get that deal because they weren't you know, native Hebrews, right? So they had to work every day. Now, this was a massive labor force, and it was working around the clock because the project that he took on was, um, I mean, just massive. Uh, this temple he was going to build, he was going to go, he's going to go above and beyond what God actually even required, okay? It's going to be huge, right? Now, today we're going to do something a little different. I'm going to skim through chapter 6 and 7 because it's all about the architecture of the temple and the architecture of Solomon's palace. Now, I know... Everyone here loves reading blueprints and loves talking about feet and inches and, and, you know, building stuff and wood. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, there's always one nerd, but uh, no, I'm just kidding. There's always one guy. But um, so I'm just going to skim over that just so you get the general idea. But in all these details, there are going to be two very important things we're going to see, and that's what I want to bring out today. Uh, and the first detail is that, you know, the way that Solomon built this and the time that he put in and... and and, I mean, seeing to every last detail does reveal that at this point he still had a very, a very strong passion for God. Okay, that's the first thing I want to bring out. But the second thing is we're going to start to see Solomon change a little bit. Because remember, he's building a temple and then he's building his house. Okay, so we're going to start to see Solomon become a little bit more self-indulgent here. And a little bit of greed starts to seep through, maybe a lot of greed. And what I believe we're going to see in this is that in any of our lives, if we break down the details of the lives that we're building, there's a lot of truth in those details that will tell you the direction you're headed and where you are by breaking down, you know, just the small details in the life that you're building. But we'll look at that here in a little bit. So first of all, let's start off looking at the architectural things. Uh, now, listen, since the beginning of time, this might shock you, but since the beginning of time, man has struggled with pride. Right now, is there anybody here who never struggles with pride? Anybody? Good, I was making sure I, you were going to be my target if you said something. But we've all struggled with pride of one kind or another. It's just something we, we struggle with, okay? And one of the ways that, that mankind, one of their favorite ways to express that pride is in, in, in their architecture. I mean, they love architecture, and they love to, to build big things. We just like building stuff. You know what I mean? And guys, you know what I'm talking about. Maybe some of you ladies, I don't know. Uh, you build something, you like run and want somebody to come look at it. You know what I mean? Immediately. And, even, and if it looks like trash, they go, wow, that's 
something, you know what I mean? But we, we love architecture, right? And, and man has, has always believed that when you look at the architecture of a culture, it tells you about their culture, it tells you about their wealth, it tells you about their power, right? And all pagan nations, I don't care who it is, all, all pagan cultures, if you go back through the history of time, you'll find that all of them have built these amazing archaeological structures. I mean amazing ones. Things that, that we still look at today, things that are still standing today. And their reasons varied. Some of them built those, those amazing things because they wanted to, you know, show their dedication to their God. And, and some of them wanted other, other cultures to be able to see for centuries to come what their culture was like. Some wanted to, you know, describe what their social stature was or what the social life was like in their culture. There's so many different reasons. Some of them even built things just so future generations would see what skilled labor they had which is a really weird reason to build them, but like they wanted, to know you, they wanted you to know they were good at carpentry, right? They wanted you to know that they were good at masonry or that they had really good lapidaries. How many people know what that is? I just learned that word this week. That's people who are skilled at cutting and shaping like jewels, fine stones and stuff like that. See, don't ever say you don't learn anything because you just learned what that means. And I know you'll use that tomorrow at work. Anyway, they wanted you to see how, how skilled they were as engineers and how skilled they were as scientists. So, so this has been around for a long time, but the first... The first kind of example of, of, you know, archaeological, you know, example we found is this, the architecture found in the Tower of Babel. Now, how many people have heard of the Tower of Babel? Okay, there's a lot you've probably been told about. Let's take a look at this, and I'll tie this in here in a minute. Genesis 11.1. It says, Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. And it came about that as they journeyed east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, listen to this, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used the brick for stone, and they used the tar for mortar. They said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach up into heaven, and let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. Now, you start to notice that, that God is starting to become less and less, you know, relevant here to them and now it's all about ourselves pay attention to that verse 5 the lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built and the lord said behold they are one people and they all have the same language and this is what they began to do and now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible to them come let us i'm going to stop if you read through the old testament you'll see that a lot God saying, come, let us. Listen, they do that to remind you that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, was present in all of the things that happened in the creation of this world. Everything. So when people say, well, who's us? He was talking to you. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But he says, come, let us go down. Uh, uh, go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad uh, from there over the face of the whole earth and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. So, you notice something. They all spoke the same language. Now think about this. Everyone that was alive, this is about 700 years after the flood. Okay? And everyone who's alive at this point all speaks the same language. And you know what kept jumping into my mind? They all got in trouble because they all could communicate from all over the place, and they all ended up getting in trouble. Does that sound like anything to you? I mean, we now have the capability, and I'm not that anti-technology guy. But since the Internet has become so big, and since there's so many different you know, forms of social media and so many different ways uh, to understand people, realistically, we can communicate with anybody anywhere in the world, can't we? 
And has anyone noticed that since that has become a thing, things just keep getting worse? Because you put the sin nature of billions of people from nations apart together, and we're going to come up with some really bad things to do, right? So think about it. This was, this was kind of like what we have, other than the fact that, that you know, they didn't need the Internet. They all spoke the same language. So what happened was after the flood, God said, listen, I want you guys to repopulate the earth. Not a bad deal. I want you to repopulate the earth. That's what I'm putting you out here for. I want you to move all over the face of the earth and repopulate it, right? But a lot of them just liked the area they were at. They were near the Tigris River, and it was fertile farm ground, and, and there was you know, water and resources there, and they could easily build port cities. So they just didn't want to do what he said. They didn't like his plan, right? So they started doing exactly what he told them not to do. They started building these cities and trying to settle there. And then as they started building the cities and doing things their way, they started thinking more about themselves and less about God. And then the more they thought less about God and more about themselves, more they started, the more they started doing things that, that revealed their disobedience. Like they wanted this city not to honor God. They didn't say, let's build a city to honor God. They didn't say, let's build a tower that will honor God. Because what they build always reveals who they are. They said, let's build something that will leave us a legacy. So everybody will know who we are, right? Everybody will see this and know who we are. And they said, we're going to make it so big. We're going to build this tower in the middle of this city that's so big that the top will reach heaven. Now, how many people were raised thinking that the Tower of Babel was built so that people could go into heaven by that tower? Anybody raised to believe that? Okay, I was too. Listen, we don't really know why they did it, why they built it up there. Now, I'll give you some ideas people have put out. Some people say that they built it because they wanted to reach heaven without God's help. They were trying to get rid of him. They wanted to be able to reach heaven without God helping them. And to be honest with you, I get that because people are still trying to do that today. It's called religion, right? We're still trying to do things our way. We come up with religions that support the things we like to do rather than just living by the word of God. So I can see that. And another theory, and this one kind of cracks me up just because I got a warped sense of humor, but another one was some of them started thinking, you know, we're, we're disobeying God and, and we know what happened last time God got really mad. He flooded the entire world. Some think they actually built that tower that big to reach heaven so that if he flooded the earth again, they'd be safe above it. Like God couldn't go, like God would go, oh man, the tower is over 60 feet. I can't make water go that high, you know? They really thought that was a solution, so some people believe that. We, I mean, here's the thing. We don't really know exactly why they did it, but here's what we do know is that it symbolized their disobedience to God. So he confused their languages and confused their speech so that they couldn't work together anymore. Now, the, that tower may have been stopped, but the pride and the arrogance of man was not stopped. And the pagans for centuries to come still were building these big, amazing structures that had nothing to do with God, right? And some of those structures were still around in Solomon's time, which is why I brought all this up, okay? And if down the Nile River, which is right in Solomon's area, there were all kinds, if you would go down this river, you would see all kinds of temples and shrines that were built to honor other people's gods. And I mean, let me... Let me list some of these and these are things that solomon had to see if he traveled the nile and we know he probably had uh there was the temple of asher and that was one that came from the ninevites and it was huge and and amazingly built and then there was the temple of baal and that was built by the phoenicians the very people who were helping solomon build god's temple right and then there was the temple of murdoch and the temple of ziggurat and that was those were both babylonian temples and god knows they had 
I mean, a deity for everything, right? So who knows which one those were built for. Uh, then there was the Temple of Athena, also called the Parthenon. You guys ever hear that one? That was on that river. Okay, also there was the Temple of Jupiter. You ever hear about that one built by the Romans? That was on that river. So think about Solomon now. Solomon sees all these temples up and down the river that are magnificently built, right? Honoring false gods. And you kind of wonder if maybe he thought, I am not going to be outdone by any of those pagans that don't have half the money I have or half the wisdom I have. So when Solomon decides to build his, it goes crazy. I mean, he goes crazy with it. Now, I'm going to read about 14 verses here, and I think when I'm done with that, you'll see why I'm stopping. But just to give you some details of the intricate details that went into this, I'm not even going to go into all the gold that was used, all the jewels that were used, all the silver that was used. It was just, it was amazing. But 1 Kings chapter 6, starting in verse 1, says, Solomon's workers started building the temple during Ziv, the second month of the year. It had been four years since Solomon became king of Israel and 480 years since the people of Israel left Egypt. Uh, the inside of the Lord's temple was 90 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Now, I use the contemporary English version today, and I'll tell you why. Because they changed all the cubits to feet, and I just didn't want to cubit you to death, to be honest with you. Okay, so that's why we're using that version. All right, verse 3. A 15-foot porch went all the way across the front of the temple. The windows were narrow on the outside, but wide on the inside. Along the sides and the back of the temple, there were three levels of storage rooms. The rooms were on the bottom level, were seven and a half feet wide. Rooms in the middle level were nine feet wide, and those on the top level were ten and a half feet wide. There were ledges on the outside of the temple that supported the beams of the storage room so that nothing was built into the temple walls. Are you glad I stopped at 14 verses? Okay, we still got a few more to go. All right, verse 7. Solomon did not want the noise of the hammers and axes to be heard at the place where the temple was being built. So he had the workers shape the blocks uh, of stone at the quarry. Now let me stop for a second. This means that this massive temple, intricately built, they were going to prefab all of the stone and bring it to the site and it was going to fit perfectly together. Okay. Have any of you ever done landscaping? I am currently doing that right now. I've decided I do not like it, but I'm doing it. So I went and got some prefabricated, all the same size, retainer wall blocks. So you would think, right, they all just fit side by side. Yeah, that's not the case. They don't all fit. But this was, we're talking stones bigger than this stage being cut so precise and shipped without chips which is another thing you can't get in landscaping stones, by the way, right, to the site and put together right there. Okay, so this was amazing craftsmanship. No one had ever seen anything like this being put together. Verse 8, the entrance of the bottom storage rooms was on the south side of the building, and the stairs to the other rooms were also there. The roof uh, of the temple was made of beams and cedar, uh, and cedar boards. The workers finished building the outside of the temple. Now, the reason they keep bringing up cedar boards is that was a very expensive product at that time. Verse 10, storage rooms seven and a half feet high were all around the temple, and they were attached to the temple by cedar boards. The Lord said to Solomon, if you obey my commands and do what I say, I will keep the promise I made to your father David. I will live among my people Israel in this temple you're building, and I will not desert them. And so Solomon's workers finished the building temple. Okay, now let me jump down to verse 37, same chapter. Work began on the temple. Work began on the temple during Ziv, the second month of the year. 
four years after Solomon became king of Israel. Seven years later, listen, seven years later, the workers finished the building during Bull, the eighth month of the year. It was exactly as it had been planned. Okay, so that's all I'm going to read from chapter 6 for time's sake, and so I don't bore you to death, okay? That's all I'm going to read from that. I mean, it gives us a lot of architectural details you probably won't remember anyway, but this does give us a time frame. It took seven years to build this temple. Uh, Ziv was April, and that was in 966 B.C. And the month of Bull was October, and that finished in 959 B.C. All right? So this took seven years from start to finish. Imagine that, a seven-year project just to build this temple, right? And it was... It was so impressive. It, I mean, it was definitely one, the most impressive piece of architecture anyone had seen up to that point. And it was made out of all the best materials, the finest woods, the finest stones. There are rumors that there were jewels inlaid in a lot of the foundations so that when you walk by the foundation, you'd see the gemstones. I mean, he went overboard. It was amazingly built. I mean, every detail was, was exquisite, right? This was just amazing. And, and this was probably the most elaborate structure known to man up to that point, right? Now, the time that he put into that revealed Solomon's dedication to God. He put seven years and all this intricate detail into it. That revealed serious dedication to God, right? But Solomon's dedication to himself is going to start becoming apparent, okay? It's going to start becoming apparent in chapter 7 because in chapter 7, he's going to build his palace, Okay, now, now pay attention to the very first verse of chapter 7. Solomon's palace took what? 13 years to build. Okay. The temple of God, the place where God said, if you do what you're supposed to do, I will dwell there with you, took seven years. And he built that so exquisite to show people how much God meant to him. And his house takes 13 years. We'll come back to that. Uh, verse 2, Forest Hall, this sounds like a college campus, pay attention. Forest Hall was the largest room in the palace. It was 150 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high, and it was lined with cedar from Lebanon. It had four rows of, rows of cedar pillars, 15 in a row, and they held up a 45-foot cedar beams. The ceiling was covered with cedar. Three rows of windows on each side faced each other, and there were three doors on each side near the front of the hall. Pillar Hall was 75 feet and 45 feet wide, or 75 feet long and 45 feet wide. A covered porch supported by pillars went all the, uh, all the way across the front of the hall. Solomon's throne was in Justice Hall. You see what I mean? Does this not sound like a campus to you? Uh, Solomon's throne was in Justice Hall where he judged cases. This hall was completely lined with cedar. This section, uh, the section of the palace where Solomon lived uh, was behind Justice Hall and looked exactly like it. He had a similar place built for his wife, the daughter of the king of Egypt. From the foundation all the way up to the top, these buildings uh, in the courtyard were made out of the best stones, carefully cut to size, then, smooth, uh, then smoothed on every side with saws. The foundation stones were huge, good stones, some of them 15 feet long and others were 12 feet long. The cedar beams and other stones that had been cut to size were on top of these foundation stones. Uh, the walls around the palace courtyard were made of three layers of cut stones with one layer of cut 
or one layer of cedar beam, just like the front porch and the inner courtyard of the temple. Okay, 13 years it took him to build this. We know he had stones in the foundation of this. So if spending seven years made a clear statement that God was super important to you, what do you think 13 years said to people? I think what 13 years said to people was that God was important to Solomon, but maybe Solomon was starting to become his own God. Because look what he put into building this, right? Now get this, this is, this is the kicker. Guess where he built his house, his palace? Right beside the temple. Okay, so when people came up to marvel at this temple, they would be like, wow. What a temple. Whoever built this must really care about their God. Who lives there? That's what would have happened. Because right beside the temple of God stands this structure, equally amazing, if not more so. Right beside it. So that people would come up and think about how awesome Solomon's God is, but ultimately realize how awesome Solomon thought he was when they saw that house. I mean, this is pretty, pretty arrogant, right? So yeah, he wanted to show off the house of his God, but not as much as he wanted to show off his own pad, okay? Because he built it right beside that. Here's the thing. Solomon had started to forget that David made building this temple possible anyway. As a matter of fact, this sounds terrible. I kind of don't like him. And I'll tell you why. The guy never worked for anything in his whole life. He was raised in a palace and got everything handed to him. The kingship was handed to him. and He, you know, he wasn't even the eldest son. That was given to him. God gave him wealth like no one else had ever seen. He didn't earn that. God gave him peace on all sides. He didn't have to go to war for that. David gave him the plans for the temple and told him how to build it and collected a lot of the things he had to put in it. So Solomon was the ultimate trust fund baby here. Okay, he got everything handed to him, and you can see he kind of started forgetting about, that, about all that and started getting kind of self-absorbed. Now, I told you all that for a reason. I wanted you to see some very important things about the temple and Solomon's palace, but what's really been on my heart, and, and this, is, this is the part I want to spend the rest of the time on, is how much, as believers, we can unlo- unknowingly become just like Solomon. Not even realize it and start to become just like Solomon. Okay, because there are many things that we're going to discuss. But one thing we can't deny is that we as a people sometimes start to look to ourselves as our favorite person, don't we? We start thinking about ourselves more than others. That starts to happen a lot. And like the pagans and like Solomon, the things they built revealed what was important to them. Listen, the life that you're building and the details of that life will reveal what's really important to you. And a lot of people get mad when I preach on this, and, and that's probably because you feel guilty. But I just want to be honest with you. I got my butt kicked before I'm about to kick yours. So just so you know, God laid it on me too. So anyway, listen to this. When you take a good look, have you ever stopped and had that epiphany where you look at your life for once? You just, you know that moment of clarity where you start saying, what am I doing? I work all the time. I do this. I do, and you just think to yourself, is this what I'm here for? Anybody ever have that moment of clarity? Where you just look around and you think, what am I doing? Why do I do the things I do? What do I? That moment of clarity will reveal so much truth to you because you start looking at the temple you've been building called your life. And you start looking at the details of that life and those details will tell you the truth about you. And the truth I'm talking about is it will tell you about the condition of your heart. If you take that time. Jesus discussed this in Matthew chapter 6 starting in verse 19. 
He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and, there, and, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, what? There will your heart be also. So another way to put that is what we build reveals what we love. How we built our life reveals what we love. It's just that simple. Now, I know people hear this and they think, oh, great, here goes Pastor Chris's guilt trip, or this must be a solicitation. They must need to build something. They must need money. That's not the case. That's just the devil trying to take your attention from the truth. You ever notice when churches start to talk about money or pastors starts to talk about money or wealth or anything like that, immediately people get offended? Why do you think that is? Do you get offended when your country club talks about your fees? No. Do you get offended when you go to the store to buy something? No. It's just, it is what it is. But bring up God, and all of a sudden you're all offended. Why is that? I'll tell you why that is, because the devil does not want you taking a look at the temple you've been building since day one of your life and seeing what really matters to you. He doesn't want you to take a look at that, right? He doesn't want you looking to see where your passion really lies because taking a look at your life will reveal it to you, just like looking at Solomon's castle versus the temple really revealed something about him. Taking a close look at your life will do the same thing. So let's do that for a second. Here's the truth. We are so worried about having the best, aren't we? Let's just be honest. We are so worried about having the best. We have to have the best homes, the best cars, the best phones, the best toys. I'm going to admit that I'm guilty there, so back up. But here's what we do. We get the newest phone, and we're thinking, this is awesome. Then one comes out a year later, if that. And we talk ourselves into thinking we need that. You're like, you know what I need to be effective in ministry? I need a phone that sends talking head emojis. That's because if I could, I will reach people for Jesus with talking head emojis. I need a camera that does slow motion video. Because I can do slow motion of me sharing the gospel with you. You know what I mean? We talk ourselves into believing we need that, don't we? We have to have the best. Now, why is that? Is it because we need the best? No, it's because we want to look at ourselves as the best and we want other people to look at us as the best. That's why. That's why we do that. Just like Solomon and all these pagans built these awesome temples and, and Solomon's palace, we want to put our pride and arrogance on display for everyone to see so that they think we're the best. I mean, that's, that's just the truth. But here's the weird thing. You can tell I stayed up too late thinking about this. Here's the weird thing. When you get the best, is it, is it enough? Never. You will pay $1,400 for a phone, which sounds weird to say. $1,400 for a phone. And when you get it, you're like, life is good. I have a $1,400 phone that has talking, stinking emojis. Right? And then you go, but if it had a bedazzled case, it'd be even more cool. You ever notice that? Not me. I didn't buy the bedazzled case. It was my wife. Right? Or, or we start thinking, you know, if I had, if I need four car chargers for mine. If you have kids, I get it. They steal them. But I mean, other than that. And then you start thinking about the, you know, here's the weird thing. Accessories are one of the most powerful markets out there. You know why? Because when people get the best, the best isn't enough, so they need to accessorize the best, so they sell accessories. Think about that. Sometimes we spend more on accessories than the item we're accessorizing. 
You ever think about that? This just goes to show you we are never pleased. And the devil's going, oh, yeah, you got your talking emoji phone. You got your slow motion phone. But you need this now so that you're never content. You buy that house and then you have to landscape it. Here's the thing. I have determined I think my landscaping is sin and I should cease and desist immediately. But my wife looked at me this morning from the crowd and goes, really? So it didn't work. I thought I'd use the Bible route. Didn't work. But we, we want to landscape it. We want to add all these things to our homes. We buy cars that cost a stinking fortune. And then we got to do all this other stuff to them because it's not the best anymore. We already have it, right? It's all just this, this, this method to keep us so distracted. And along the way, we're building these shrines saying, I have to have the best for me. And if you stop and look at what you've put your whole life towards attaining, you know, your vacation homes, your boats, your, you know, your phones, your hunting stuff, I can't believe I'm saying that, your, your sporting equipment, you know, and you start looking around and your whole life is looking to attain things that have an expiration date that will be junk in 10 years, and you start to question why. And the whole time while you're going the extra distance to make sure you have the best, there are churches and there are orphanages and there are missions and there are missionaries who are struggling while we build our temples. To make sure we have the best. And the enemy is pleased. Because listen. He's kept you focused enough. To where you've developed a new idol. And that new idol has your name. And your address. And all your attention. And all your passion. And you don't even realize it. Until you have that moment. Of clarity. You know what I mean? And we come to church and, and we, sing, we sing praise and worship about how important God is to us every week. But when you look at the temple and the pieces of the temple that you're building and the materials of the temple that you're building, do the materials and the pieces and the details of your temple say that God is important in your life? Does it? Because the evidence is right there. Right? And we say, I would do anything for God. I give all to God. We sing all these songs. Do you? Listen, this killed me when I thought about it. So listen, I got my own beaten. So I certainly don't feel sorry for you, <laughs> right? But listen, we, we, we look at this. I would give all to God and it, as long as it doesn't get in the way with me putting another level or another porch on the temple of my life that I'm building that worships me. Do you see how much we're like Solomon and don't even realize it? How much we're like these pagans and don't even realize it? We're building these temples we call our lives and we're putting the jewels in the, in the foundations and we're putting the finest wood and the finest things on them because we want to make sure that we have the best and we'll give God what's left. And then someday, someday God is going to show us how important the temple we've built is and all the, all the time and effort and money we've spent on it. He's going to show us how important that is. Right? Because we're, listen... You ask any Christian, they have no problem with sacrifice or generosity as long as it doesn't get in the way of their plans. Right? But listen to what happened to Solomon. Solomon was the wisest man to ever live. We all know that, right? Solomon had more money than anybody ever lived, right? We all know that. More possessions, more power. We all know that. And old man Solomon is looking back over his life. And listen to this in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Starting in verse 9, he says, Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem, and my wisdom stood by me. Okay? Verse 10, All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. And you're going to see that as we continue to study. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all of my labor, and this was my reward for all of my labor. 
Okay, I contend that. I don't think he labored a whole lot. Anyway, verse 11. Thus I considered all my activities, which my hands had done, and the labor which I had exerted, and behold, all was what? Vanity. The jewels in the foundation. The gold inlays on everything. The silver. The fixtures that were made of the finest metals and the finest jewels. All, everything he had. I know he regretted the 700 wives. Everything he had. He looked back on it and he said, I thought it was everything. I put everything I had into having it. I wanted everybody to see that I had it. And I look back on it now and it's vanity. It's fading. It has an expiration date. And when it expired, I would buy another. It's all vanity. Listen to this. All was vanity and striving after what? Striving after wind. Listen, I love that imagery. He's saying it's like chasing wind. You'll never catch it. Trying to always have the best. And if you do catch it, what would you do with it? But anyway, right? I mean, that's what he's saying. All vanity, striving after the wind. And there was what? No profit under the sun. So here's what he's saying. Basically, he's saying to all of you who think you want it all, and you'll be happy if you have it all, I did. I had it all. He said there was nothing that I wanted that I couldn't have. There was nothing I desired that I did not give myself. No one had more than me. And I looked back on it, and it was all trash compared to what I should have had. A closer walk with God, a better relationship with God. It was like chasing the wind, trying to find happiness anywhere else other than in my relationship with God. Because everything we have, everything we seek after, has an expiration date, except the things you give and except the things you do for Jesus, because those things go into eternity with you. Those things mean something. And listen, I want to build the most beautiful temple and palace that ever was, but I want to build it for him so that I can see it again when I leave this world. And when the building blocks of the temple I want to build are the lives of people that God might use me to touch. So people can leave the fear of leaving this world and ending up, ending up in hell for eternity and instead have the joy of being in the arms of Christ. Every person that God can use you to lead to Christ, I see that as another of those fine, precious stones and those foundations that build the temple that actually matters. That's, that's what I see. Now, don't take me wrong. It's not wrong to be wealthy. It's not wrong to be successful. Some of the most spiritual people I know, more spiritual than me, in fact, not that that's a high standard, but, not, you know, more spiritual than me are wealthy. But their wealth doesn't consume them. And that's probably why God continues to bless them. Because what they have, they use for his glory. And listen, I'm not against that. All I'm saying is, you know, if you take a look at the structure that you're building, what does it say about you? And when people see it, do they know more about you or more about God? That's how we evaluate the structure of the temple that we're building every day. Just like this palace and this temple revealed a lot about Solomon, so does our lives reveal a lot about us. I just really wish we would get a hold of that and understand it and make some changes before it's too late. I don't want to be Solomon looking back with regret. And I've been by so many bedsides and heard so many men and so many women speak those same regrets. I would trade the houses, the cars, the boats, the 16-hour days to have been close to my children, cared, with my cared for my grandchildren, played with my grandchildren, 
and touch people's lives for Jesus, I'd trade it all. I don't want to be that guy looking back with regret. You know what I mean? Okay, I'm going to go ahead and close there. I'm going to ask you, would you please bow your heads? If this is your first time, we always give an invitation. And I have people say, well, how can you preach something like that and then give an invitation? Well, God always tells me whenever I think that, I'll use my word to touch who I will. I don't need your permission, Chris. So I always ask, if there's someone here who doesn't know Christ, I just want to pray for you. You can lift your head and make eye contact with me, and I'm not going to point you out or chase you down. Bless those people. I just want to pray for you. And those of you who are listening online and watching online, God knows your heart. I'll be praying for you. Because I know you hear all these things we talk about, but the, the worst day of being a believer is still better than anything I had before. And even when I make more mistakes than I can count, the one thing that's, that's always constant in my life is that Jesus still loves me despite me. Now, for those of you who are believers, I want to pray for us, and here's why. Look at the crazy stuff going on around us. It's crazy, and everybody's losing their mind, and everybody's saying, what's going to happen next? I, you know, I just don't have those thoughts so much. You know why? Because God has told me what happens next. And he's told me what happens to me. And no one is going to change that. No leader, no movement, no war, no argument, no virus. God has told me what's going to happen in my life, and that's enough. I just want us to get our focus back on serving him and let him work out the details. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for all that you do. I thank you especially that you love us even though we're not worthy of it. Even though we let you down, we're disobedient, you love us despite us, and you give us an opportunity we don't deserve in grace. And that is that Anyone who would believe that what your son did was enough to guarantee eternal life, you have promised to give them eternal life. Not because they deserve it, not because they've quit doing things, not just because that's the offer you made. And when they believe, you take them in and start making the changes you want. And I, I just pray, God, if someone needs you, if someone's looking for you, remove whatever's holding them back and let them believe. God, for those of us who are Christians, don't let us be sidetracked. God, let us build our lives in a way that when the finished product is done, people see your love and mercy and grace all over it. When people see us, God, we are successful if they see you. When they hear us, we want them to hear you. Just let us serve you in a way that's profitable to you. God, we pray that you would go with us as we leave here. Keep us safe. And if you don't return to take us home before we meet again, let us come back together one more time and give you the praise, honor, and glory you're so worthy of. We just thank you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.